This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Cousins at War, a Civil War novel. And the author is Ralph Beebe. And Ralph joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Ralph. Hello, Steve. Nice to be with you. Good to be with you. Very pleasing to me. They have done Well, first of all, Ralph, I'd like to uh, read a couple things you've written about your book just to kind of set the stage for our discussion. Uh, You say this. This story of two close cousins helps us understand the Civil War from both the Confederate and Union perspectives. Could this tragedy, which killed almost as many... Could this tragedy, which killed almost as many Americans as died in all our other wars combined, have been avoided? So you raise a big question. You also pit these cousins against each other. A fascinating story and, and a unique perspective. Ralph, before we get into the details of the plot and of the, uh, all the characters in your book, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you decided to do this. Because we know this is not your first, this is not your first book. Right. I um, I'm a historian. Went to George Fox University, and then taught there, taught in high school, and then at George Fox, taught history for many years. And uh, as I was moving toward retirement, it just. Uh, you know, trying to decide what will be my big retirement project. It just hit me, well, why not write a novel which has just as much validity as the history books that I've been writing, or at least almost as much. And that was a kind of a, a, a quote, novel <laughs> novel idea for me. I really uh, enjoyed thinking about that. And I went a long time uh, gradually working on it, spending a great deal of time researching in Civil War country and uh, and other places as well. And it's, uh, it just it, it came to me that perhaps more people would enjoy reading a novel than reading a regular history book. And I, through this novel, I think I tell the story of Civil War with as much uh, authenticity as in my history books and in other people's history books. We all hear that the Civil War was fought over slavery. Is that your point of view? Why did the Civil War occur? Well, I think if we had never, if we never had had slavery, there never would have been a Civil War. However, the uh, war wasn't simply slavery. The war had uh, to do with um, divisions but uh, slavery was an aspect of a very great difference in the South as in the North in terms of their economies, in terms of um, the, the way of life and the fact of slavery or some sort of um, cheap labor. Very important in the South and all that cotton to have cheap labor. And uh, so they, of course, Went, with the, went the slave route, and gradually in the North there began to be more and more people who defended against slavery. And uh, so I, I would say that slavery, well, I don't think there would have been a civil war if there hadn't been slavery, but there were other causes as well. Could the civil war have been avoided? Definitely. I think it could have been avoided had um, we... Well, I mean, the, the very simple way, when you look at it in hindsight and think of the millions and millions of dollars we spent on the war, if they had just spent 
some of those dollars buying the slaves or buying, creating an alternative uh, so that the, the slaves then would have land for themselves or opportunities and so that uh, the uh, worker people in the South who had slaves and had to give up their cheap labor could also get a relatively cheap labor probably with a um, government uh, handout, which would have cost uh, so much less, even in dollars and obviously in lives, than the Civil War did. So the, the war could have been avoided, but it seems like what happens so often is that we think of war as the first alternative, whereas I wish we thought of it as the last alternative. Well, let's talk about these two main characters, Aaron and Joel Haskin, cousins. Uh, tell us about Aaron. Well, Aaron is uh, a, a nice young man, as and both of them are. Um, the, the, two, the two live uh, almost together, farm the same farm together. Their fathers do. And uh, they um, grow up very, very... Aaron is um, of what I think you and I would think of at the beginning of the book as a really very nice young man, tw uh, 20 years old. Here's the call to war, and he jumps up and takes off because it seems like that there's a real reason fear of losing their two slaves, for example. Uh, live in Maryland where there wasn't lots of slaves, but there were a few, and they had and uh, a family of two slaves and, and two of their children. And Aaron, I, I think that uh, we would enjoy Aaron, but um, but in this particular case, he took the side that most Marylanders did and they went to war uh, on the, the side of slavery. And you write that Aaron feared Lincoln. Well, there was a great deal of fear on the part of Aaron and other people, in, in, uh, particularly slave owners, because there was this feeling, which Lincoln denied, but there was this feeling that uh, Lincoln would try to take their slaves away. And uh, Lincoln, although Lincoln only got 40% of the national vote because the, uh, the, the Democratic Party divided into North and South, so uh, uh, Lincoln. 40% of the vote gave him the victory, but um, he, uh, he did cause a lot of fear because there was, uh, he, I mean, nobody knew much about him. I think that there was a, uh, a great deal of assumption that the slaveholding slave was in danger, and of course this was not the beginning of this. This had gone on for several years that there might be some danger to their slaves, some danger to them holding their slaves. And uh, Air Lincoln gets elected and it is Aaron uh, thinks and a lot of others thought, well, there, there goes our way of life. There goes our slavery. And of course, as you know, uh, uh, immediately after Lincoln was elected, States in the South began to succeed. Uh, just uh, a month later, South Carolina, and then gradually six more by the time Lincoln was inaugurated. So the Union was already greatly divided. So yes, there was a, a great deal of fear on Aaron's part and on uh, other people in the South. And it, it did have, a, I think it had a lot to do with slavery that uh, Lincoln would, uh, would take away their slaves. Well, tell us about Aaron's cousin, Joel. Now, he's got a whole different perspective on everything. Joel um, seems to be uh, more uncertain. He has a little difference. Of course, they're cousins. They live side by side. They work together. They've been best friends all their lives. This is the first important thing that they've ever disagreed on. But Joel, um, for one thing, his mother, uh, his, actually his father had lived for a while in Pennsylvania, 
married a Quaker woman, and um, that influenced the uh, the situation. Although, when Joel's um, um, grandfather died, the family moved back. Uh, his, his mother and father moved to the original farm. So this mother, who opposed slavery, influenced Joel a great deal. But in her opposition to slavery, um, what do you think she could do about it? What, uh, can you imagine a person that grows up as a Quaker in opposition to slavery, marries a guy who has lived temporarily in Pennsylvania, um, but then who has to go back when his father dies, he goes back to the farm. Of course, his wife has to go with him. And so she winds up very opposed to slavery, but as the family, as the part of the family that owns slaves, so it's very difficult for her. And I think we see some of that in Joel, and we see Joel with a great deal of um, affection and uh, feeling for his mother and for the position that she was taking on a lot of issues, but of course slavery is one of them. I think that probably had something to do with uh, the Joel's rejection of war. Of course, another factor is that he had recently been married. But, in fact, he'd been married only a month when the war started. But um, so that would have been one uh, practical thing. But I think the key thing is that Joel just could not make that easy decision with Aaron that, uh, yeah, we've got to go fight and defend I think that he had some questions in his mind about slavery was a legitimate alternative. But Joel finally joins the Union Army, and now he's his cousin's enemy. That's right. And a whole bunch of things happen that I don't have time to talk about now. But uh, eventually, uh, after the Battle of Sharpsburg in, in the September of 62, um, and um, some things that happened to him changed, changed him a little bit, or at least made him willing to go and uh, fight. But the thing that just surprised when, he, when his cousin found out, things that just surprised Aaron when he found out, that Joel decided that if he was, that, that he was at the Union cause was right. He, de he decided, in spite of the fact that his family owned slaves, he decided that it was, uh, it was wrong and that the uh, Union cause, that he, that he must support Union cause. Uh, very, very difficult breaking away from his wife at the time, but, um, but and his wife was pregnant, too, by that time. That was, this was... Uh, October of 62, and uh, he decides that uh, he must go. I think one of the things that has affected Joel is that after Aaron went to war, and most of the kids in their neighborhood uh, went to war, and, and men as well, but after they War, here was Joel among only a few people who refused to fight. And they uh, he, he took a lot of uh, condemnation from those people. He thought he was a coward. And uh, I think that may have, may have uh, I, I think it probably did affect Joel some and make Joel feel that, uh, well, I don't know, you know, and so that whole bunch of things that came up and uh, hit him by September, October of 62, a year and a half after the war started, they finally joined, but joined on the Union side. And your story is also a story of reconciliation. Ah, uh, yes. That's the beauty. I, uh... They eventually, the two boys, and I doubt that they ever really changed their mind, but they're reconciled. And it turned out to be 
a horrible experience they had lived, but uh, love overcame them. Hold on here for a second. Ralph, what are your concluding thoughts as we talk about your book, Cousins at War? Well, my concluding thoughts are that we should, every time we go to war, we should think seriously about, um, for sure, whether or not we, that, that this is the only alternative we have. Can we save lives? Can we save money? Can we save... Uh, a sense of morality if we seek all the peaceful possibilities and there were plenty of them in the Civil War if they had yeah you, you know <laughs> my concluding thought which really irritates me is that so often we think of fight first and don't think what might be the alternatives but this book doesn't explain all the alternatives but it certainly opens the door to uh, some of the possible alternatives that Joel and Aaron had. And I am glad that uh, Joel went the way that he did. We've been listening to Ralph Beebe. He's the author of his book, Cousins at War, a Civil War novel. Ralph, tell us how to get your book. Well, um, through our universe directly would be one thing. Uh, if you live near me, in Oregon, you can uh, buy it from me or places around here. Um, I, I think all of the places that uh, iUniverse sells, all the, the big bookstores, Barnes right. & Noble and all those, uh, have it or will soon have it. Well, thank you very much, Ralph, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it very much. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Pahoy and Comanche Spirit Power, and the author is J.L. Chalfant, and Janine joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Janine. Hello. What an adventure this book is. We're talking about a young Comanche woman named Pohoy. She embarks on a mysterious, mystical quest to earn spirit power after her father is murdered and her white mother is kidnapped. What a story. How did this all come about, Janine? It's, it's really kind of a strange story how it came about. I had 
a challenge was given to me by a New York literary agent who took me on at the time. She thought Native American characters would be good for young adult novels, and that's what she wanted me to write. And I had I met her because I went to a workshop to learn how to edit another novel that dealt with Native Americans. So by working with her, I felt like I was a karate kid in training, <laughs> but I think she was harder than his teacher. So this story <laughs> developed out of that working relationship, but then she retired, and then I was holding a YA I did not want to publish. So I went ahead and finished it and decided I would publish it. That's how that happened. And I, um, I got... I really became motivated actually to work that story and much of I decided to use the um, being a Texan and knowing about a lot of innocent Indian women and children being gunned down to rescue white captives. I decided to reverse that idea and to write this story from the Native American point of view. <laughs> and you have uh your genealogy goes back to Native Americans. Yes, yes, part part of my genealogy does, and um, and that was a very important part of my genealogy. And I, yes, I, so I became very motivated by all of that, and actually reconnecting. It helped me actually reconnect with my Native American connection, the Comanches. So that was a lot of fun, but it was also a lot of hard work. So I still had to do a lot of research to keep it, the framework of the story as inspired by true events and what was really happening in Texas at the time of the story, and then try to keep all the rest of it fictional. So that was a challenge. And the overall story, you really want to focus on the importance of family and friends. Yes, and forgiveness. Those are my three main themes that I focus on. So Pahoy, she, how does this, how does the story begin? I mean, where does, is it right at the beginning where her father is gunned down? No, no, there's a, a great spirit storm is coming. And there's actually been a 15 year drought, really, and the weather's beginning to change, and the Indians feel something, a bad omen is coming. And so it starts before the attack, just a little bit, where Pohoy is, she's a girl that's headstrong and courageous, and her father has pretty well sheltered her and has not let her marry. So she still lives at home with her parents, and half of her life is spent learning from her aunt and one especially who's a medicine woman, and the other half from her mother and her grandmother and her father. So in the middle of this little section of kind of setup for the story where she's with these people doing things and living her life and disobeying them at the same time, trying to climb cliffs and fly with the eagles, these traitors come, and then the story begins where she witnesses her mother being kidnapped and her father murdered. So do we know the background of her white mother marrying her American Indian Comanche father? Yes, you find that out in the story pretty quickly. So she's out to avenge. That's her mission. Right. She feels like... She's been betrayed by someone that she loves in camp. Now, who's Yellow Bear? He's her boyfriend, the, the one she really wants to marry when she gets to. And he becomes the one who joins her when she doesn't want anybody to join her, but he does anyway. And he also brings along a Mexican captive child who's, like six years old, who belongs to her, her aunt and uncle. Now you talk about her transforming herself into a ghost warrior. Now explain what that's about. 
she does that because she feels she has broken some taboos, like trying to gain spirit power by climbing the, to this eagle's perch at the beginning of the book to fly with eagles and to study power with her medicine woman aunt when she's not supposed to. And when her family is attacked, she blames herself. So she decides that she's got to right the wrongs. And by doing that, she uh, ex exiles herself. She puts caliche dust you know, all over her and literally takes what she needs, takes some things from her father that will be needed for his burial even, and takes off on her own after the kidnappers before they get away, before their tracks fade, because she thinks that her tribe or band, they were called bands, not tribes in those days, is taking too long to go after her mother. So, you know, by being a ghost warrior, she knows she can't come home. Um, unless, of course, so she, she can find So me. she go believes ahead. she's... Uh, I was going to say, this, this is a... Uh, well, it's not a suicide mission, but it is a it is a mission that's going to probably take her life. Right. The, and the planes are treacherous, much less for one person than they are for a group of people, you know. And, yeah, she, she knows that that could happen. Now, why did you put in this six-year-old Mexican captive? Uh, you know, it's a, an important character. Yes, he is. Um, I put him in because the Comanches did capture a lot of Mexicans and brought them up, as well as white German babies, because they were living over in the part of Texas that was settled, the east part. And she, I wanted to show that there's intolerance among everybody. She was tired of having so many Mexican children because they were beginning to speak a lot of Spanish. The Comanches could speak. Spanish and Comanche and some other Indian languages, and they also learned some of them to speak English before they were brought in on the reservation, the ones that had a lot of contact with whites. So I used this child to help teach her through the story to have tolerance for people who are different. And that's very important to you as well, as you've mentioned before about forgiveness. Um, you know, really only true healing comes from forgiveness. Right, right, that's right. So I put her through the, I put Pohoi through the gamut, I guess, of all those emotions. So she has to learn a lot of lessons. Right, yes. And, and she learns a lot of surprises, too, things that she perceived to be one way when they really were another way. Any other strong characters that uh, help her or are uh, yes. in ways um, get, get in her way? Um, yes, her boyfriend, who is Yellow Bear, is a strong character who, in her mind, gets in her way, but in reality she knows he's keeping them alive, basically. And the little boy... The little Mexican captive tests her patience constantly through the whole story, but her it, there's a, the antagonist of the story, which I don't want to give away too much, is someone within her own band, Comanche band, who is a very powerful person, and there's a lot of Comanche spirit power going on where she communes with, she gets spirit help from her father, who's deceased, the spirit animal that belongs to him, and then this other person in the tribe, or the band, excuse me, um, who is helping her inadvertently, even though she cannot believe it and refuses to believe it. So this theme of fear, fear, fear of uh, difference, fear of the unknown, fear of being alone, fear of being loved, knowing the truth, uh, a, lot, a lot of themes here that your character is dealing with. Yes, yes. This was a this was a really important era historically for the Texans and the American Indians living in the Canyonlands and all around, really. But in her case, they had had no contact with whites 
No sign, no treaties. Her band is the Quahati Comanches, which means antelope eaters. And they literally state to themselves, and all this, I wrote this story to show that here's these peaceful Indians not doing anything, minding their own business, and then all of a sudden their whole life is threatened to extinction. So Pohoi has to ask ourselves. She gets hit with all of these questions. Suddenly she's an orphan. Suddenly her grandparents who got to live with her older uncle and aunt not, maybe not get to marry the guy she loves. And now then she learns the storm, the spirit storms are coming and possibly their way of life is going away. Maybe they'll all die. So yeah, that's why those are all in there. So a theme of discovering true power that really is within all of us. She comes to understand that. Yes. Finally, at the end of the book. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share with us, Janine? Yes, actually, um, I felt this story was very pertinent for today, and maybe that's why subconsciously I put it up and got it out at the right time. I don't know, but... Um, in using a real-life historical framework for the story, it enabled me to generate a true-to-life feeling for fictional setting and characters. Um, and in setting, I mean what happened, because I can't say that that didn't really happen yet in Texas. But that this, that the readers can actually compare what was going on then to the clash of cultures today in the world and how everybody's lives are just changing really, really fast. There's all kinds of things going on. And possibly, if they read the book, and I hope a lot of people do, that they'll see that Pohoi actually does come to peace with everything going on and is able to, to find that peace within her, that power to see other people in a good way, not necessarily in a bad way, in all, and including the events that are happening. So. The title of the book is Pohoi and Comanche Spirit Power, J.L. Chalfont. Janine, tell us how to get your book. You can get it through iUniverse Bookstore, and you can get it through Amazon and through Barnes & Noble online. And there's many, many other places online that you can get it. Um, all you have to do is go online and type in J.L. Chalfant or Poho and Comanche Spirit Power. You can go to my website, which is jlchalfant.com. And I have a Facebook page that is linked from there, too. So it's pretty much all over the place. Well, thank you so much, Janine, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. Friday evenings at 6, 5 central on Togedad.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying, surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopreet. Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. 
she's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings, this is J. Douglas Parker. Today on iUniverse, we'll be visiting with Army vet, technical professional, and New York resident and author, Selrock Smith, to discuss his book, Are You Looking? A Guide to Navigating Gay Dating. Welcome, Selrock. Thank you. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Pretty good. It's a bit rainy here in New York City, but you know, New York is one of those cities where you can just absorb everything. You'll find something great about even the rain. Yes, <laughs> so I, I'm kind of happy. I, I love New York. New York's a great place to visit. I'm in the Southwest, but uh, definitely enjoy my visits there. Now, on your book cover, it says this about your book. In this guide, Selrock Smith, a fellow veteran of the dating war, shares his best advice, perspective, and support. He discusses everything you need to know about taking up optimistic and productive control of your dating life, no matter how or where you meet people. You'll learn some powerful tips and simple life lessons to take the confusion out of meeting new people and making a great first impression. And with these tools, you can learn how to avoid the world of heartache and headache. Does that kind of sum it up? That sums it up um, very, very well. And um, the wording is, is actually perfect. It's a perfect description of uh, a lot of what I'm discussing in the book and a lot of various topics. Um, but it's also a very direct approach. Um, I'm not, you know, I didn't write War and Peace. <laughs> and so yes. it's one of those things where I want people to just, you know, have a, a quick read that is to the point. You know, I'm not adding a lot of stuff to it. So um, I'm very happy about that. Okay. How did you come to write this book? Oh, wow. Well, it's, it started um, about almost two years ago, actually, as, um, you know, a lot of my friends were becoming out of a long-term relationship, becoming newly single. And I had been, you know, single for quite some time at that point. And, you know, they would talk, talk to me about their dates, who they met, how they met them, and I would share common mistakes. They were able to give me scenarios, and I was already able to complete the scenario for them. And I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen because of X, Y, and Z. And what would, ha- what would happen, they were making the same mistake I made um, when I became single, uh, especially out of a long relationship, and what took place, it was just over and over again. These were friends of mine that didn't even know each other, making the same common mistakes. And then uh, in discussions with other people, I found that, you know, a lot of these things were common, but were very repetitive. So kind of as a joke, <laughs> I said, I'm going to write everything down. Will you stop calling me? <laughs> and okay. that's kind of how it started. And next thing you know, I had a, um intro and an outline done, and I just started writing. All right, and what do you want the readers to take away from your work? I think the, the biggest thing I would like people to pick up is, you know, the stuff I wrote about in terms of self-evaluation, I think, you know, uh, or self-reflecting, as I call it. And I think it's important to really understand who you are, where you currently are in life in your current situation, and where you're going, and what do you want. Once we understand these things within ourselves, then we can meet people and determine if the person we're dating or involved with is important, if if that's something you really need in your life, if that's something that you want, or are you dating or with this person for the wrong reason. So I think a lot of times people are in relationships where they meet people and they're with them, and it's not for the right reason. So that's that's important to me. I want that to kind of stop. Yes. And uh, how long did it take you to write this book? Um, well, <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, it, it was more of a hobby. I still consider it somewhat of a hobby, but, um, you know, working a full-time job at you know, other, you know, uh, ventures and whatnot, and this was uh, an approach that was very close to me. So I think total time in terms of um, actual writing the manuscript, the editing process, and you know, getting the first draft out there 
we um, combined in terms of days, I would say, about, oh my, I would say I put a good solid year, a good solid 10 to 12 months it took me to complete the whole process. Now, granted, over that 10 to 12 months, that's, that spread it over a two-year period, um, and it actually took me to really complete it, you know, but yeah, that's how long it took. Yes, and is this book similar to other books in the marketplace, or is yours kind of unique? You know, to be honest, I've read, long before I wrote this book, I read several books that um, was related to the gay community with dating and some of the issues that I also discussed in this book. And I didn't quite feel that they elaborated enough or they, they tiptoed around some of these topics that are considered, you know, very taboo that goes on in the gay community. But no one wants to talk about them. It's like a pink elephant in the room. So I feel like um, there was one, maybe one or two that really took on the some of the bad side of dating in the gay community and kind of hit it hard, but they didn't specifically reference um, some of them referencing some of the drug use, some of the, you know, a lot of the uh, sexual activity that takes place. They talked about it in another book, but it, it didn't translate over to someone that's dating, that's trying to meet people. And, you know, how do you avoid that? How do you kind of, um, you know, steer around it? So I think my book, and then another thing is this too, I find a lot of the authors that wrote books, um, about this, a similar, similar topic was more than 10 years ago. The last one that was published um, that I was able to find was from uh, 2003. So, you know, here we are 10 years later. So I think my, my perspective has a, is a fresher, more updated approach, and it's very direct, and, you know, I'm not a doctor or psychiatrist that has written stories based on my patients. I wrote this book from my observations and those of my friends, and, you know, I think that alone makes it very relatable. And even the readers that, you know, that have purchased it already and some of the feedback that I've gotten in the book, you know, they're like, wow, this is so true. I'm so happy you wrote this. And, you know, I, the feedback I'm getting is, is amazing. And But the feedback that I'm getting is from the community that I wrote it for, for from, you know, single gay men that, you know, are trying to meet people in, in, a, in a big city or anywhere for that matter. And... Uh, I'm just very happy with what I'm hearing. Well, is that, was that the most challenging part of writing the book, being being specific about uh, complex issues in the gay community? It was it was complicated because you know you're putting your your <laughs> in a way you're putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be you know criticized and you know I don't want to say necessarily attacked, but um, you know judged for you know saying certain things that you know people may not want to talk about. And but I thought that it was important to discuss these issues because they were true, and I genuinely believe that I told the truth about what actually takes place. And you know, um, and this is something that necessarily mainstream may, may not be aware of. I think um, I don't. I didn't want to give into the, the stereotypes of the gay community either by you know discussing large sexual numbers, you know, large numbers of uh, sexual partners and the drug use and partying. I didn't want to kind of get into that, but I wanted to, I wanted to make it clear that, you know, a lot of gay men are just regular guys that just don't happen to be gay. And that's really the core audience, the core group I'm targeting. Now, granted, um, the people that I'm finding that are, you know, my more average readers are women. A lot of women are surprisingly reading this book, and I'm getting a lot of feedback from women. So it's, 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 it's weird. Um, you know, I targeted one audience, and I'm getting feedback from another. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting thing. But I think uh, as far as complicated, yes, it has been very complicated to talk about, you know, dating and HIV. You know, no one has done that. I have yet to read a book that discusses that. And, you know, HIV, you know, here it has been since the 80s, 1980 was the first case. So we're looking at um, 30 years of a virus that has affected one community, you know, not, you know, it affects everyone, but it's been targeted towards one community for so long. And no one has specifically, that I'm aware of, discussed dating and HIV. And I, I did touch on that in this book as well. Right. Now, this this book, although it's it's targeted towards uh, gay dating, uh, does it have issues or, or conversation that might be transferable to, to anybody that's dating? It, it, it's completely transferable. I genuinely believe that anyone that is genuinely looking to meet someone and, you know, start something, start a new relationship, or I have tips in here that I think will help everyone. And 
ironically, like I said earlier, you know, the, the amount of women that are responding to me about the book, it's, it's crazy. And I, I love that women are picking it up and they're taking it. And they say, you know what? Yes, I can totally relate to this topic. I can totally relate to, you know, whatever you said in this chapter. And what's happening, now granted, I, not every single thing, because some things are specifically targeted to gay men. But overall, yes, I believe anyone can take this book and, um, get something positive from it. And that's really what the biggest thing to me is sending a positive message out there to people. Super. Now, what is the, maybe the one tip that you would give to just as a general dating tip to anyone that's uh, trying to get into a relationship? What would you say to them? Oh, God. <laughs> There's so many places to start. Um, the, the reason that's kind of, it's kind of hard to answer that, you know, a targeted one question um, a one one simple uh, thing to, to look for, um, because as complex as dating can be, I think there's a set number of things that, that can be evaluated. Um, but I think for me, the, it's, it's all about the individual. So I can only talk to myself um, in regards to that. Um, for me, the biggest thing is respect. That's the biggest thing. Someone that you know respects your time, respects you know what you're trying to do. Um, you know they're listening to you, and you know you, you're looking at what they do as an individual as well. Do they respect themselves? Are they doing things to make sure that they're a better um, individual? And you know you look at all these things across the board. But let's say you take that one topic, you take respect, and you apply it to other things. You watch this person. You kind of have to be very uh, mindful of you know what they say. Are they you know through their words, are they honest? And, you know, but for me, it all brought down to respect, and that's such an important thing. And I think from respect, other things can grow. So that's something that I personally, personally look for. I don't have any specific, you know, physical attributes that I care about or any, any, anything of that nature. I look for uh, more moral qualities that are more important. So that that's important to me. But I feel like uh, an individual has to decide, what do I want? Okay, what's, what specifically is important to me and what I'm, where are my values are with this, and then I can apply that to what I'm looking for. So that's what I would tell someone. So sincerity and respect are kind of a key ingredient to any dating situation from what I'm hearing. I, 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 completely, I completely agree with that. That's exactly what I'm saying here. All right. And what, what, uh, what would you like readers who get your book and who read it, obviously, what would you want them to take away from uh, your, your insight? You know what? I think from my many, 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 many mistakes, um, they, I, I would love them to take the wisdom that I've put into the book. And um, I genuinely believe that you can always learn from another man's mistakes. And I, I want people to take <clears throat> little things, you know, the little red flags that I discussed, things that I want people to pay attention to from the beginning of a relationship. A lot of times we meet people and we get so carried away with, oh, He's great. I love him. <laughs> you know, or you, mm-hmm. you, it, it's the newness of it. And I, I call it the honeymoon phase. We get to the honeymoon phase and we ignore a lot of like little red flags that are clearly evident in the beginning. And they don't manifest themselves until later. And what happens once the honeymoon phase over, you start paying attention to these little issues, but the flags were always there. We, we just couldn't see them. We were blinded by this honeymoon phase. So a lot of times I think people can take away and save themselves a lot of heartache by just paying close attention um, and, and to little things in the beginning when you first meet someone. And a lot of times if you could take a red flag, you can multiply that flag by, what, three years. And that same issue was always there in the beginning, but we chose not to see it. And you'd be, it's funny how you can rewind to a beginning of a relationship and remember details that you should have paid attention to from day one. And that's the biggest, that's one of the biggest lessons I want people to take away from when they, after they finish the book. Uh, also, like I said earlier, uh, I want people to do a lot of self-reflecting and, you know, find out what's important to you, find out what you want. Because if you don't know what you want, how do you know if you missed it? How do you know if that person already passed you by? You you won't know, but if you're just, oh, I'm just kind of want to have fun looking around, okay, that's great, but, you know, when you are ready to date and you meet someone seriously, you want to know exactly what's important to you, and, you know, and I, I talk about writing a lot of lists in the book, you know, I talk about people just spending time with themselves to figure these things out before you meet someone, before you jump into something, figure out what's important to you, what do you want, and that's that. 
Well, that's that's uh, good advice for anybody in dating world, whether it's gay it, or straight. It really is. It really is. If <laughs> you're a single person trying to figure things out and try to, I feel like there's a confidence that comes with knowing with knowing who you are, and and that there's a self conviction there, and, and it's people can see it, and then the confidence stands out more than anything else. If you're in a public setting, or you're in a group, where there's you know a bar, wherever it is, where you know you have a lot of people are around. Somebody that's confident, you can always spot them immediately. I don't care what they're wearing. They could be wearing anything, nothing. You will spot a confident person a mile away. So, but that, a lot of that confidence comes from internal. It comes from people, you know, knowing exactly who they are, where they're going, and what they want. And it's attractive. It's probably the most attractive trait that I can think of. And that's the key right there. That's the biggest key right there. People need to have that. If you don't have it and, and you kind of make, you know, not even if, you, not even, not even if you're shy, um, it, you know, you, that confidence is so important in any situation that um, but it only comes from within. If no one can give it to you. You can't go and buy it. It's just, it comes from within. You've either got it or you haven't got it. Exactly, and I do talk about ways to kind of figure it out. What can you do? And there's so many, life is, you know, hard enough as it is, and I feel like there's so many areas that I feel we need to cover. I definitely talk about people. Um, again, I said it, I said earlier, I'm going to repeat, I'm going to keep repeating that self-evaluation, and I'm referencing, you know, whether it's from a health perspective, your education, whether it's financial, whether it's, you know, mental. I talk about this evaluation from across the board. And if there's an area in life that, you know, it's lacking somewhere, work on that. You know, work on that first before you try to meet somebody. Work on that, you know, get that squared away because you don't want that to be a conflict when you do meet someone you're interested in and you want to move forward with them. You don't want any conflict from that can be changed that you can control. And I also talk about, you know, I want people to get advice from, you know, family members, doctors. I've even talked about people, you know, potentially going into therapy and, you know, using that as, you know, uh, an angle to kind of work through some uh, inner turmoil. Because uh, another thing that I see a lot of people do, you use relationships and dating as crutches um, for emotional support when no one can give you that. You have to have it within yourself. That's absolutely correct. Your self-esteem has to come from the inside. Exactly. Well, we've been visiting with Selrock Smith, author of the book, are You Looking? A Guide to Navigating Gay Dating. Sel Rock Smith, thank you for visiting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Take my, care. My pleasure. Where can listeners get a copy of your book? Wow, you can, it's, it's everywhere, actually, but it's definitely on Amazon.com. It's also on Barnes & Noble. I also have uh, my own website where I am uh, making the book available there. It's called AreYouLookingBook.com. It's available there. You can get the e-books and a uh, hard copy there. And that's it. You know, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about this project, and I'm looking forward to moving forward with it. Well, thank you, Sal Rock, and thanks for sharing your insight. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.